Welcome to the BJ Psych International Podcast. In this episode... Unless we take such an initiative ourselves, many of the other um, international organizations would be distracted by various other issues of their own problem. And hence, I think there is a major role for us to play, and then we can call for their support. Professor Abdel Ghadir H.M. Osman discusses Sudan's mental health service, challenges, and future horizons. Welcome to the BJ Psych International Podcast. My name is Sachin Shah, and I am a general adult trainee in Southwest London and St. George's Trust. And I'm Hamilton Morin, an FY1 doctor at Guys and St. Thomas's Trust in South London. In today's episode, we're talking about a country profile article within the February 2020 edition of the journal, which is entitled Sudan's Mental Health Service, Challenges and Future Horizons. The lead author is Abdel Ghadir H.M. Osman, who is associate professor at the Department of Psychiatry Faculty of Medicine in the University of Khartoum. The article goes over the status of mental health services in Sudan and what needs to be done to improve mental health services. Hamilton, let's talk about Sudan for a second. So from what I understand, Sudan is a country located to the south of Egypt along the Red Sea. It's got a fairly large population at over 40 million and is classified by the World Bank as a low-income country. In Sudan, the majority religion is Islam, which is observed by 97% of the population, followed by Christianity and other religions. Sudan gained independence from the Anglo-Egyptian co-rule in 1956, and then since then, the country has endured two civil wars between the North and South regions, which have cost over 1.5 million lives. Peace talks beginning from 2002 led eventually to the independence for Southern Sudan in 2011. In addition, ongoing conflict in the western region of Darfur has resulted in the deaths of over 200,000 people and driven over 2 million from their homes. A 2004 Human Rights Watch report said, The government of Sudan is responsible for ethnic cleansing and crimes against humanity in Darfur, one of the world's poorest and most inaccessible regions. The western region of Darfur has been a focus of United Nations peacekeeping efforts, And in 2018, the UN Deputy Secretary-General, Amina Mohammed, said, In the Darfur of today, we see intermittent clashes in the mountains of the Jebel Mara, but violent conflict has subsided. Outside of that zone, fighting has largely ended, and intercommunal clashes have been considerably reduced. Sudan also has refugee populations mainly from Ethiopia, Eritrea, Chad, Central African Republic, and South Sudan. The journal article begins by describing the present status of psychiatric services in Sudan, saying, The amount spent annually on healthcare is 4.3% of GDP, but the amount spent on mental healthcare is unknown. As of 2008, there were just 0.09 psychiatrists, and 0.2 psychiatric nurses per 100,000 people in the population. 
and 0.2 mental health beds per 10,000 people, of which 90% of beds were hospital-based, and the other 10% were community-based units run by physician assistants and psychologists. For more on the challenges and the future horizons of mental health service in Sudan, we spoke to Professor Abdelgadir H.M. Osman. I'm a consultant neuropsychiatrist trained in the West Midlands, Birmingham, and I did my SBR and I took my first substantive post in the West Midlands as a neuropsychiatrist. And then I came over to Sudan in 2006-2007. I took an academic post at University of Khartoum, Faculty of Medicine, and then I headed the, the, the psychiatric department. And since then, I have been working as a um, senior psychiatrist, associate professor at Faculty of Medicine, participating in the training scheme that is supervising registrars and holding various conferences in psychiatry. Um, nationally and regionally in the West, in the Middle East and Africa. And my role in the paper, I was the coordinator and the main researcher and the first author of two successive papers trying to raise the standards of psychiatric service in Sudan. And that came about as subsequent to some brainstorming meetings and conferences about the developing psychiatric services in Sudan, which was well attended by psychiatrists from all over the world, especially Sudanese psychiatrists. And uh, following these brainstorming meetings and conferences, we agreed that we should do research trying to obtain various opinions of psychiatrists in a systematic way. Hence, we did the first paper on the profile trying to ascertain the situation in Sudan, the various services which was available, including the academic as well as the training in Sudan, trying to introduce it to the various researchers around the world about the situation in Sudan. And hence, we published the first paper, which was the Sudan profile. And the following article, which we submitted also to the British General of Psychiatry International, and that is about scaling up the mental health service in Sudan, obtaining the opinion of the various Sudanese psychiatrists. What is the current state of mental health services in Sudan? The mental health service in Sudan started in the early 50s. It was led by Tijani Mahi, who was the first psychiatrist in Africa. He was qualified at um, the Royal College of Psychiatrists in London, being first father of psychiatry in Africa. And at the background, he found various local and traditional healers working in the field of psychiatry, as there was an absence of modern science and modern psychiatry at that era. And he tried being a first psychiatrist invading this area, which was predominated by various traditions and various local healers. He tried to twin and create some kind of um, relationship with the local healers so that he can find his way and he can be enabled to reach out to the various patients 
that is staying under the remit of these local healers. He tried to create a really very creative relationship at that stage in the late 50s, beginning of 1960s. And he was able really to succeed in creating very good relationship and he was able to train some of their local candidates or nurses in modern psychiatry and inject modern psychiatry in their vicinity in the various local healing uh, localities. So that was the beginning of modern psychiatry. And since then, many psychiatrists qualified in either the Royal College of Psychiatry or different other countries like Germany and Soviet Union, but predominated by the British school after the 1980s. Many psychiatrists qualified there, but unfortunately, many of the Sudanese psychiatrists are attracted by the petrol countries in the Middle East, and hence they often immigrate to the Middle East. At the beginning of the 1990s, we created a local training scheme, and that was a watershed period, really, of getting many psychiatrists qualified locally in Sudan, and hence it expanded the service from a service that was centralized in the capital city of Sudan, which is Khartoum, to different regions in Sudan, which Sudan has got more than 18 regions. And since then, I think many of these regions are headed, or at least the service area is headed by psychiatrists. Like near to Khartoum, there are two, two three regions um, surrounding the capital city. These regions, they have got more than one psychiatrist heading services in these regions. And hence, many psychiatric hospitals were founded in these regions. And the situation now, although the capital city is well served by well over 30 to 40 psychiatrists, I would say at the moment up to 60 psychiatrists, but many of the other regions, uh, really, they don't have more than one or two psychiatrists. And the paper mentions that as of 2009, there was just 0.09 psychiatrists and 0.2 nurses per 100,000 people in the population. That's correct. Is that is that mainly a disparity in terms of uh, underserved rural populations? That's correct. These numbers, they came about after an initiative by the WHO trying to ascertain the psychiatric services around the world. It was really a very pinnacle paper by the World Health Organization. And at that stage, we surveyed all the psychiatric service, including the manpower. And the numbers which were recorded in the paper really indicates the number of the human resources 
whether it be in psychiatrists or the nurses or the psychologists, and we quoted these numbers, which indicates really an underserved population by psychiatric manpower. What movement has there been, or what driving force has there been to expand mental health services within Sudan? And we have had annual conferences over the last 10-15 years, which were well attended by psychiatrists from all over the region as well as the world. Many British psychiatrists participated in these conferences. And often the psychiatric service in Sudan and in Africa is unwell discussed in these conferences. And many ideas came and germinated from these conferences, including our own articles and including the second article, which is trying to scale up the mental health service in Sudan. I think a, a major development that is also mentioned is this parliament approvement of the Mental Health Act within Sudan in 2018. And it seems That's to correct. cover many of the similar things that we have in the UK in terms of protecting patient rights and demanding access to least restrictive care. Has it changed practice at all within Sudan? The Mental Health Act initiative came about from these conferences as well over the last 12-15 years until it get crowned by the Mental Health Act approval in 2018. We had another conference concentrated in designing and issuing code of practice two years ago following the act itself after the, it is approval. We had another conference focusing on designing and proposing a mental health code of practice. And that was submitted to the, to the Minister of Health as well. As yet, although the Mental Health Act was approved, it's due to various diversions and distractions that have occurred over the last two years, political diversions, I mean, the Mental Health Act has not been enacted in the mental health institutes as yet. We still practice through the various previous codes, mental health codes or the acts that were dealing with patients um, in the mental health service and mental health field. When we mentioned about the distribution of services, so I think we can gather from that that it's less easy to access mental health services from outside urban populations. But what about cost of services? What's the system over there? Historically, especially the basic psychiatric drugs were funded and supported by the WHO. That was historical up to the beginning of 1990s, mid-1990s. And I think that support was gradually withdrawn. And since then, we have got the Ministry of Health usually support the very basic emergency psychiatric drugs. But the rest of the continuation of treatment, be it injections or tablets, 
it is you it is solely dependent on the patient's relative side it is privately funded by the patients and their relatives uh, and this is the case up to this moment and hence many patients they don't get the top class of medications due to the high cost of it many of the patients that they come from a poor background they wouldn't be able to afford to buy the, the expensive drugs because it is solely privately funded uh, do patients have free access to clinics and admission yes they do have access to acute service which is solely hospital based they do have access to hospital admissions if they are acutely ill but following the acute phase of treatment the follow up they have got access to the outpatient clinics to come for follow up but often they have to fund most of the requirement of the treatment and the, and the medicine itself what is the prevalence of mental illness within sudan or at least how much do we know about it many of the under resourced countries they don't have country based or national based prevalence studies often the prevalence studies that were published were either catchment based or sector based like for example school children or graduate or university graduate we have got many studies that were published in either sector based or catchment area based indicating the prevalence of psychiatric services or mental health illnesses equivalent to many of the studies that were done elsewhere for example in schizophrenia it is around 1% and likewise for bipolar around 0.6 to 0.9% but as i said it is often catchment area based and in relation to childhood mental illnesses we coded at least a couple of three four studies in our paper indicating the prevalence of depression in secondary school girls secondary school children around 8% and then it goes on to note that beyond this it's known that the prevalence of psychiatric illness is higher among internally displaced people 53% which is obviously very high could you comment on the status of internally displaced persons in relation to the history of sudan sudan has been plighted with many wars as well as accepting and welcoming many refugees from the surrounding countries that were also subjected to various political turbulences and hence we have got huge population that has been either internally displaced or came from the surrounding countries and these often they live in camps and we have published few studies from these camps and the displaced population from the internally displaced population indicating very high mental health morbidity 
some of these studies were published in international journals as well as others in local journals, indicating prevalence of in the region of 45 to 55%. And is this a particularly difficult population to access and help? As you can imagine, often the internally displaced population and people they have got less resources and less services and they often are subjected to very difficult economic situation beside the political and beside the war and the consequence of the war whether it be directly or indirectly and hence there is a high ratio of post-traumatic stress disorder beside various other traumas with these consequences whether be it anxiety or depression or other type of psychiatric illnesses. Now just to go back because you mentioned the founder of psychiatry within the 1950s worked with traditional healers but the role of traditional and religious healers continues to this day to help meet community care needs of people. What is the role of religious and traditional healing for people with psychiatric illnesses? Often many families, they consult religious leaders and traditional healers at the first instance before they come to psychiatrists, especially those who live in the rural areas in the various different other regions which underserved by psychiatrists and then when the case gets complicated or takes some course of chronicity they are referred to psychiatrists here in the capital and there they find the psychiatrists and they start the modern psychiatric service and receive the treatment uh, and this has continued to be the case until recently Nowadays, especially in the capital city, more people, they are aware of the presence of the psychiatrist and not only aware, but they are made also be known of the psychiatric service. And due to the mass media, many psychiatrists played a very pivotal role in introducing and also in destigmatizing psychiatry. And hence, they are able to access the psychiatric service freely and able to access the psychiatric service without a huge stigma. What kind of stigma, or more broadly, what is the interpretation of mental illness within the general public? Often, many families, especially coming from the different regions, they feel the society would stigmatize their patients and also their the whole family if they were known that they are psychiatrically ill. And hence, many families, historically, they incarcerate their patients uh, trying to avoid the stigma, the societal stigma. And that was the case more intensely historically, but nowadays, with the presence of the psychiatric services and the modern medication, they have seen and they've been made aware of the outcome of the psychiatric and they have seen it. 
and hence they are able to use it and access it more freely and feel more comfortable about it. But yes, the stigma is huge burden and it is a barrier to the use of the psychiatric service. Now you commented on the training that psychiatrists go through. Within the article it mentions that 17 medical schools in Sudan have full psychiatric science in their curriculum. But it seems like, as you mentioned, that Sudan doesn't hold on to their psychiatrists. Well, over the last 20 years, many private medical colleges have been established beside the governmental medical schools. And hence, Sudan nowadays one of the leading countries in the region in relation to medical schools and medical students and doctors. And in fact, in many Gulf regions, they depend entirely on the doctors that they come from Sudan. Beside Egypt, um, knowing that there is more than 60 universities in Sudan at the moment, graduating doctors. And over the last 20 years, we have established the local psychiatric training and hence we have been able to really raise the standard of the psychiatric education in the various universities. Initially, psychiatry was part of medicine and it used to be examined as part of medicine as just a subtopic in the medicine and didn't have to any sort of intensive uh, clinical courses. But over the last 20 years, many universities have established their own independent psychiatric departments. And nowadays, psychiatry is an stopping subject, meaning that unless you pass psychiatry, you wouldn't be able to proceed into the following year. And it became fundamentally one of the major subjects in the medical schools in many of these universities. And what about psychiatric knowledge within general physicians, or primary care physicians? It's still, comparatively, many of um, the primary care physicians or the general physicians working in hospital Still, their knowledge really in it is childhood in relation to, in comparison to the West. However, we as psychiatrists been able to create some relationship in presenting psychiatric articles, topics, researches in their conferences as we invite them also to participate in our psychiatric conference and we created a good liaison really with the various physicians yet still there is a lot of work to be done really to generate good collaborative relationship and to develop it further the, the last thing i want to ask is just about your final statement within the paper which is about scaling up mental health services in sudan what do you feel needs to be done next we are one of the leading universities which is called khartoum we are playing a major role in propagating the need for raising the standard of the psychiatric service widening the scope of research in psychiatric service and psychiatric 
field generally, and this has been the case also in relation to the postgraduate education and the postgraduate researches. We supervise many of these candidates, and hence we've been able to generate really and create an atmosphere which takes and put psychiatry at the core of their thinking and their future really interest. Is there anything that you wanted to mention or that I may not have asked about that you feel is very important to get out? Well, being in an under-resourced country, which I feel is problem which many of the under-resourced countries in Africa and elsewhere, they have got the same problem. I think we need to collaborate together to generate really a momentum that addresses our needs and also that would attract interest and support from the international arenas and the international organizations. Unless we take such an initiative ourselves, many of the other um, international organizations would be distracted by various other issues of their own problem. And hence, I think there is a major role for us to play, and then we can call for their support. And this is, I think, uh, the margin that we should look at developing in the next few years to come. Thank you for your time. Thank you for uh, all the interest that you have paid. Thank you. Goodbye. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye. So we'll wrap up by going through the final paragraph of the article, which is about plans for scaling up mental health services in Sudan. It begins that researchers, policymakers, and international agencies have issued calls for low- and middle-income countries to scale up the mental health components of their healthcare systems by capacity building in the workforce. The World Health Organization Mental Health Gap document recommended that Sudan needs at least six mental health care workers per 100,000 population. To accomplish this, Sudan needs to greatly increase its mental health workforce from the current figure, which is just 1.6 per 100,000 population, and they have to do it over the next decade. In order to achieve this, it's been suggested that a new model of service delivery should be developed that can deliver sustainable services. This could involve training lay counsellors, psychologists, nurses, and primary care doctors in order to provide early interventions at a grassroots level in urban and especially rural populations. Academic departments and research units, together with the policy-making department at the Ministry of Health in Sudan should spearhead such changes in collaboration with regional and international organizations. Really, what strikes me about that, Sachin, is the fact that this article itself, unless I'm mistaken, is something that policymakers in Sudan could read and see as almost part of the proposal process, almost like a, a call to action, really. Yeah, the interview with uh, Professor Osman does indicate that this article came out of a process of discussion about developing psychiatric services in Sudan, which have gone on in conferences in Sudan. And so this very much seems part of the action process. And it would be valuable 
because this article clearly identifies the needs in Sudan and sets out a roadmap for improvement of mental health services in Sudan. And so it's important that policymakers in Sudan do see this. Maybe it would be great if they could listen to this podcast too. But also, clearly the article is mentioning that the response is not just local, regional and national, but it's also international. And so this is truly a widespread effort which needs to be made. We'd like to thank Professor Abdul Ghadir Osman for joining us and enlightening us about mental health services within Sudan and the roadmap for scaling them up. If you want to read that article, it is titled Sudan's Mental Health Services, Challenges and Future Horizons, and it features in the February 2020 edition of the BJ Psych International Journal. This has been the BJ Psych International Podcast. I have been Sachin Shah. And I have been Hamilton Morin. Thank you and goodbye. Toodaloo. Thank you for listening to this BJ Psych International Podcast. For the latest updates, follow us on Twitter at the BJ Psych. To listen to more podcasts from the BJ Psych Journal portfolio, visit us on SoundCloud or search for us online.